and Romans. I'm enjoying this study. It's a lot of work, and I hope you're taking notes and keeping these and, and maybe even having to wrestle through some of the things that we're going to learn. Uh, the last two weeks have been really introduction, his prologue to the whole letter. I'm excited about today as we hear the real thesis. Paul states what he's going to be speaking about from here on out. So the big idea this morning in Romans is proclaim unashamed. Everybody say it with me. Proclaim unashamed. The gospel is the difference maker. It is about the gospel. And if you would turn with me to Romans 1, 16 and 17, or turn on a gadget, or there's a, maybe a Bible nearby you in the pew underneath, or the seat underneath you in a basket. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Two verses today, but oh, they pack such power because he's going to explain everything we're going to be talking about. I gave this to you a few weeks ago, two weeks ago specifically, some themes that are going to come out. Uh, But I hope you understand that although we're going to talk about these different items, they're all under one heading. It's God's gospel. Everybody say gospel. It's God's gospel. And that's what Paul uh, exists for. It's what he wants to preach. Thank you so much. Thank you, sweetie. Everybody thank Julie. Because I am blind and I cannot see, and I was faking it during the whole music set, but I got to have the helpers. Oh, Colton, you'll get old someday too. Uh, It's good to have glasses to be able to see, and especially when we're talking about something as important as Paul explaining this thesis to us. And obviously, we're going to get two verses, but then he spends 16 chapters unpacking it. That's really the truth of what Romans is all about. He's got to unpack it. And so this morning, uh, I'm excited to talk to you about this. Uh, I, want to, I want to read it for you, and then I want to make some comments on what's there so you can maybe understand it, and then we'll, we'll talk about how do we apply this to our lives. Let me read it for you. Um, I want to read it in the NIV first, and since there's only two verses, I'm going to come back and read it in the ESV. So no matter what you have this morning, you might uh, have that copy in front of you. Both say the same things, but have different wording for it. Let's start with the NIV. Four. i got to stop right there. So he starts this thesis with four. So everything he said up to this point, he's now making the comment. He, 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 I, Paul, called by God to be an apostle, to you in Rome, and then all these things. I wanted to come to you, but I couldn't. I was prevented. Now I'm here. I mean, we're coming. and all the, It's all about this. Four. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let me turn it around and read it for you in the ESV now. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You might be saying, I didn't, didn't see much of a difference there, but there is a little bit. I, and I'm going to use the ESV this morning because I, I realized uh, Paul, trying to explain the thesis, uses four fours. Four, four... Four, it sounds like when I'm golfing. Four, 
watch out, the ball's coming. Uh, Paul is telling us there's some big things coming, and, and he's going to have to break them out. Now, we've got to start with Paul saying, I'm not ashamed. It probably doesn't strike you as odd that he would say, I'm not ashamed, but it's really interesting he chose this type of wording. It's the negative instead of the positive. Why didn't he just say, I glory in the gospel? I mean, he could have started that way. For I glory in the gospel. But don't forget who he's speaking to, a sophisticated Greek crowd. Can you imagine Paul, Jewish guy, coming to Rome, the culture center of the world, to talk about a Jewish carpenter who died on the cross for your sins? So Paul's got a lot of explaining to do. you got some explaining to do, right? The people in Rome have heard about these Greek gods and all these things that aren't true, but mythological. And now Paul's coming with some truth, and he's, he's going to lay it out for them, but then explain it. So he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's actually a figure of speech called litotes. Maybe you've heard of litotes before, and if you haven't, you might have used it. Have you ever heard somebody express, um, Colton's not a bad drummer? If I said that to you today, Colton's not a bad drummer, I actually mean the positive. Colton's a great drummer right? You know, we say he's not that bad of an athlete, or he's, he's, she's not that bad looking, right? All right? Don't say that about your wife. Say it in the positive always, right? But that's called like totes when you use a negative to mean the positive. It's, it's through understatement, the affirmative it expressed in a negative contrary. That's for my English teachers in the room. Not ashamed of the gospel actually means I glory in the gospel. I'm proud of the gospel. And so that's how Paul chooses to start uh, this this explanation of where he's going. I think it's important when we start into this thesis that we start with some common words that we need to have definitions for. Words have meanings. Amen? Anybody else a a geek about words? I mean, words have meanings. We must use the proper terms. Uh, When I came as the pastor, I drove them nuts because I just think words have meetings, and everybody wants to call this the sanctuary where we're sitting. And I'm like, I don't like calling it the sanctuary because it's not the sanctuary. A sanctuary is where God resides. And so it's really sad if God resides here, y'all leave for the week and we turn the lights off. And here he sits all alone in the sanctuary. No, no, the Bible tells us that we have become a living sanctuary. There's no need for a temple for God to reside in anymore. He resides in the temple of your heart. Anybody with me say amen. Amen. I drove all the way from Ohio. It was late night and I lost an hour of sleep. Had to be here early for worship. Somebody be with me this morning. Words have meanings and so I drove them nuts. We don't call this the sanctuary. This is our worship center. We choose to come here and then worship our God who resides in our hearts all week long. The baby dedication. I remember the first time they come and said, a family wants to have a baby dedication. I'm like, no, I don't do those. What? (gasps) I said, well, we'll do it, but we don't call it a baby dedication. We can't dedicate a baby to the Lord. We can want it to know the Lord and we can pray that it'll know the Lord, but we can't make a spiritual decision for a soul. You can't do it. So let's dedicate the parents to raising that child. Let's dedicate the church to helping the family raise that child. It's a dedication, but it's of the adults, and we pray for the child. Amen? Does that make sense? Words have meanings. And so let's make sure as we're going into this long study that we agree on some of the terms. And I, I, I hope I don't, you don't think I'm talking down to you. I don't mean to. I just got to make sure we state what these terms are, right? 
gospel has been used for two and a half weeks now. The gospel. Well, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? We call the gospel the, the four books that begin the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the gospels. But that's not what's meant when we say the gospel. Paul is specifically referring to what Jesus Christ did. Now, if I asked somebody to come up here and explain the gospel, some of you would come up and give me the Romans road, or maybe the bridge illustration, which start with John 3, 16. There's a lot of ways to explain the gospel. But I find it interesting that Paul, when he was writing, when he had to clarify what's the thing about the gospel, he actually told us in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. We should have it on the side screens. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Friends, in a nutshell, the gospel is Jesus died for you and for me. He was buried, but he rose again three days later. That's the gospel. We, we know it in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why? Because Jesus died on a cross for you and for me. He was buried and he rose again. That's the gospel. It's Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. We always point to Jesus. So salvation, we keep using that term. Let's make sure we understand what salvation means. Salvation means rescued. That's why it's hard in our day and age when we don't talk about sin. Nobody wants to mention sin. Nobody wants to make people feel guilty or bad. It's really hard to explain salvation. What do I need to be saved for? What do I need to be saved from? If there's just this loving God who's going to let everybody go to heaven, what is there a need for salvation? If it's just a loving God who's going to let everybody go to heaven, why did he send his son to die for us? And so we got to understand when we talk about salvation, we have a need. Everybody say need. We have a need to be rescued from God's wrath and judgment. Salvation is secured eternally. That's salvation. There's been debate and doctrine for years. Is salvation that Paul refers to only future? Is he only talking about the moment you don't have to go to hell and you get to go to heaven? And then other people have come along and taught that salvation starts at the moment you receive that gift and then you're saved currently. Are you living saved, people? I mean, we're saved right now. We're saved now through eternity. It doesn't just start in the future. I believe we're saved people, and therefore, he's rescuing us from from all sorts of things in this world. Yes, there's evil here, uh, but in Peter, we hear uh, that we are rescued from the junk that's all around us. If you live a godly life, you're saved from some of the junk that other people live with. Wow, salvation is a beautiful thing. But here we're talking specifically about God's salvation, a rescue from his wrath and judgment. So let's talk about the next topic is righteousness. Uh, This is where Paul is going to spend a good chunk of his book explaining God's righteousness. Now, honestly, some of you cringed a little bit. If not outwardly, you did inwardly because you learned not to cringe too much during the sermon. But I said you were rescued from God's wrath, and you're like, ugh. Does God have to be wrathful? Well, you need to understand that righteousness is an important topic that we need to understand. 
righteousness is God is perfect and just. Notice the first word after righteousness. I started that definition with the only thing you could start it with, God. You don't have it. You don't have it. (laughs) On your best day, you don't have righteousness. Some of you are like, but no, I'm I'm, I'm growing in my faith. Yeah, praise the Lord for that, but you don't have it. You don't have it. It's okay. I'm going to explain it in just a minute. You're like, hold on. I need to. Yeah, it's okay. It's coming. But right now, you and I both need to surrender to the mentality that only God is righteous. Only God is holy. In Revelation, the Bible says, only you are holy. Matter of fact, the angels, remember what the angels said about him? He is holy, holy, holy. The only time they triplicated a word. In the Bible, and in that language, you would use a word twice to emphasize it. The only word that's tripled is the word holy, and it's to refer to God's holiness, not yours. Not yours. Kenny, you're a good guy. You ain't righteous. You ain't holy. I'm not righteous. I'm not holy. And I'm talking about on my own. Because we get to some good news coming up here. The word imputed. Say it with me. Imputed. This is an important word. Imputed means treated as if it were yours. Treated as if it were yours. It's not yours, but you get treated as if it were yours. Why is imputed important? Because Paul's going to explain the gospel, salvation, God's righteousness, and how that has to be imputed. Kenny, your only chance is that God gives you his righteousness. That's the only chance. That's my only chance. I cannot show up to heaven today and say, Jesus, move over. I did it too. I was perfect. Never sinned. I can't do it. You can't do it. Nobody in this room should show up to heaven and saying, hey, thank you for the Bible, but no need. It's all good. Jesus and me, we were perfect. No. We don't have a chance unless, unless God imputes or treats you as if you were righteous and holy. Wow. Are you starting to get Paul's theme here? So what is faith? Faith is talked about here. You know the biblical definition. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What is faith? Well, faith is the application of the imputed righteousness of Jesus. Historically, we know Jesus died on a cross, was buried, and rose again. We know that. But faith is the application of that imputed righteousness for me. All of this is so beautiful when you look at all those definitions and how words have meanings. And what Paul's going to talk about is that moment we show up in heaven and God wants to know who's paying for the sin. I use that illustration all the time. When we show up in heaven, God's simply going to know who's paying for the sin. For the sin. Why is that an important question? Because God is righteous. He doesn't do righteous things. He is righteous. And he cannot lay that aside at any point. He cannot stop being just and holy. So because of that, he wants to know who's going to pay for sin. At that moment, I know what my answer is going to be. I'm going to point at Jesus. I'm not going to point at me and say, well, I did it. I did it. No, I did nothing. When, when God wants to know who's paying for the sin, I ask Jesus to take my sin. And at that moment, he imp- 
imputed his righteousness. That's why I tell you all the time, when God wants to know who's paying for the sin, I'm going to say Jesus. And he's going to look, his eyes are going to look right at his son and say, Don Jackson, you are perfect. Y'all know I'm not. But it was imputed to me. It was imputed to me. That's why God takes his eyes off of me, my sinfulness, and my past, and all the wrong, and he looks at Jesus, and all of his perfection are my account. That's why he says Don Jackson when he looks at Jesus. What? It's as if it were mine. Because there was a day when all my sin was imputed to Jesus. And he died on the cross as Don Jackson. He The substitutionary atonement. He died for me and he died for you. So that you and I could have his imputed righteousness on our account. I love the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. So what's saving faith? We just talked about faith. There's a lot of faith. Our world is full of great faith. There are certain people in certain religions that would strap bombs around their waist, walk into a market and blow themselves up with hundreds of other people in the name of a false god. That's faith. That's faith. If my elders gathered me and said, Pastor, we got a plan. We need you to strap this bomb on. I'm going to be like, uh, Ben. Remember, Ben said he wanted to be the lead pastor. <laughs> Let's call Ben. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be like, uh-uh. I love you guys and I love Jesus, but I think y'all are nuts. I'm not in. I'm not in. Man, I'm telling you. Faith. We talk about that word so loosely. It's not just a faith that saves you. There has to be a saving faith. So I want to talk about that. What does it involve? And this is what we need to know because we're going to start reading this and studying this. So salvation is based on faith. What is a saving faith? It's knowledge. The mind must know the facts of the gospel. We see and hear. The Bible says, how will they hear if no one tells them, right? And, and so there is a component of faith where you've got to have some facts. What are you basing your faith on? So there has to be something. That's why spreading the gospel and telling people the good news is a starting point. So it is knowledge. Now, don't be upset. That's not where it ends. It can't end with knowledge, right? Because even the demons know this and tremble. And knowledge of Jesus and what he did doesn't save you. So it has to be more than just knowledge up here. Well, then it's belief, Belief is the heart must respond to the truth of the gospel, which is trust. This is what we're talking about, faith. Faith is not just knowledge, but it's also a heart response. I got a a, a phrase I want to just throw out at you. I believe saving faith is the intelligent perception, willful reception, and heartfelt conviction of the gospel. I want to, I mean, let let it just sink Let it just soak in on you and think about it. A saving faith has to have a mind component, but it also has to have a heart component. It has to have a surrender component. All these things are important. That's why uh, I've used the illustration for years. You could miss heaven by 18 inches. Don't miss heaven by 18 inches by just having them here and it never travels to here. There's 18 inches that separate a lot of people from heaven. Make sure it's not just head knowledge. I've spent my whole ministry traveling, speaking to teens, and I'm thankful this church allows me to do that several times a year. I go out and speak to teens because in my heart and DNA, I worry about Christian teens that grow up in the church. They grow up and they hear it from birth. 
We sing songs about it and they just have it. They have all this knowledge from day one, week one, right? And they know about God. They've heard the lessons. They know John 3, 16. Uh, We we march them through Awana and they can say verses and we give them candy. And, you know, we just, it's there. The knowledge, the knowledge, the knowledge. But at some point, If that knowledge doesn't hit their heart and they choose, there's a willful component to this. The heart responds to that gospel truth. They can miss heaven. I've spent my whole ministry, uh, 25 years of it, was talking to teens and begging them, especially in the church. I have a a term. Do you remember my term for kids in the church? Gooba. Guba, G-U-B-A, grown up, born again, Guba teens. I've, I've talked to thousands and thousands of Guba teens, and I've seen pastors' kids get saved, missionary kids get saved, elders, deacons, uh, kids come to Jesus, and they said, I've known this my whole life, but I never surrendered to it. I never fully gave my life to Christ. So there's a heart component along with that head component. I think that's important. So, let's go back to the passage we're in. I want to use the ESV again, and I want to talk about the fours. What is Paul for? In verses 8 through 15, Paul was saying, I'm eager to preach the gospel. Why? Everybody say, why? Because the question leads us to the answer. So, why, Paul, are you so eager to preach the gospel in Rome? Well, for, everybody say, for. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am glorying in the gospel is what Paul's saying. I can't wait to get there to tell you about this Jesus and how he can save everyone who believes. Well, why? Why aren't you ashamed? Everybody ask why. Paul, why aren't you ashamed of the gospel? Well, for it is the power of God for salvation. He goes right away to, to salvation is about God's power, not your power, not my ability. None of that works. For it's the power of God for salvation. For who? Everybody ask who? Well, it's for everyone who believes. It's for everyone, Paul says. How? Everybody ask how. How How could that be that it's for everyone? Well, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. This is what Paul did. This is the structure as best I can break it out for you. It's, it's how we're going to define this thesis statement. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it's the power of God for salvation. For who? It's for everyone who believes. How can it be? It's about the righteousness of God by faith. Are you seeing it? Do you see what Paul's doing here? Do you see his thesis? So let me give you five gospel statements today that come out of this teaching. Number one, salvation is the main need of every person. Amen? Salvation is the main need of every person. So much so that when we come back after Easter, we've got five Easter messages coming up. And I'll be here for that. And by the way, would you please help spread the word? This is time now to start inviting people to come. The next five Sundays, the sermon is called Jesus Is. Jesus Is, right? Paul said the gospel is about Jesus. We're going to talk about five weeks of Jesus Is, ending with Easter Sunday. Invite people. Matter of fact, we made some incredible invite cards. You can take them and hand them out every week. Then it has the different topic that'll be the next Sunday. Invite people. Because salvation is the main need of every person. When we come back after Easter, guess what we're going to study? Romans 1.18 through 3.20. And it's all about the need. 
in Revelation 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, some of the greatest verses in the Bible that we, we quote, for all have sinned. Another four statement, right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Man needs a Savior. Man needs to be rescued from the wrath of God. We're going to talk about that. Second gospel statement. Salvation requires the very power of God, for it is the power of God. This is so important that we we understand this as Paul is explaining to it. The gospel doesn't tell of God's power. It is God's power. It's not helpful advice that people need to try out. Let me get that across to you. Salvation, the gospel, is not helpful advice that people just try out. No. It's the very power of God impacting and imparting new life. Friends, again, I'm going to tell you and remind us over and over again, salvation is not about you and of you. It's about God, his righteous perfection and holiness, and his love, we finally get to that love part, his love that gives us an opportunity to be part of it. Aren't you thankful that God is love? Amen? Yeah, I mean, I have to start with what Paul started with. It's God, his righteousness, and his power. Yes, we're going to get to his love. That's what the rest of Romans talks about Jesus. Thank God he had a son, and he sent his son to die for us. Why? Because he can't set his righteousness aside. Our need is that we are saved. And salvation requires the power of God. We can't do this. This is nothing in your power. You can't get saved, be saved, or say saved, say saved, stay saved on your own. You, you don't have the power to do it. So, so many people are you know, wondering and questioning, how do I get saved? And how do I stay saved? And you know what? If you're going to think about what you need to do, you're just going to blow it. There's no way you can do it. Because salvation, first and foremost, according to this wonderful teacher, is it's God's righteousness through God's power. And he gave it to us. The third gospel statement that Paul makes in this verse, salvation demands that the righteousness of God be upheld and applied to the guilty sinner. That's my point. Why do we need to be rescued from God's wrath? Because God is righteous and just and sin went contrary to his plan. Sin goes against God, and sin must be paid for. His righteousness must be upheld. He can't just lay that aside. So because it has to be upheld, and there's no way you can have it on your own, you have to rely on him to apply it to you. And he gives us a method, faith. Faith applies the imparted righteousness of Christ. Are you with me? Somebody say yes, PD. It's, it's faith. But don't make the mistake of saying, so it's my faith. It's all about me and my faith. And maybe my faith's stronger. No. No. In this whole equation, there's nothing about you. I mean, except for the real understanding of the fact that you were born with a sin problem. Your daddy had it. Your daddy's daddy had it. His daddy's daddy had it. It's a sin problem that's been passed on from generation to generation. Everyone's been born with a sin problem, and that sin problem has to be dealt with. And if you worry about that theology, you eventually prove that you are a sinner. If you're like, that's not fair. I was perfect for the first three and a half weeks. Okay, fine, if you want to believe that nonsense. You weren't. You were born with a sin problem. But trust me, you eventually sinned. 
Eventually, you stuck your thumb in your brother's ear and said, nuts to you. I mean, eventually, somewhere along the line, you got selfish, you got angry, and we all blow it. I just like to explain it from God's word. You sin because you have a sin problem from birth. If you don't want to believe you had a sin problem from birth, let's at least agree that you've sinned. And so we have nothing that we can do on our own. It's not the amount of our faith or the quality of our faith. It's about the quality of what Jesus did on the cross and how it completes the need. And if we just would turn to that by faith and receive God's righteousness. Here's the fourth statement. Salvation is by faith. That's the confusing part in this verse. What did the NIV say? It's, it's from uh, righteous revealed, righteousness, faith from first to last. And the ESV said from faith for faith. Really, it's about faith, and that's what Paul is trying to say. From start to finish, it's all about faith. Faith in Christ. Salvation is by faith. There's no other method where you can get it. It's not about being right enough or clean enough or perfect enough. You can't do it. You come to Christ with desperate need, and you, you just fall on the cross, and you, you, you trust in him to save you, his imputed righteousness. Five. Salvation is individual and personal. That's why he ends with this. Uh, He he talks about first for the Jew and then for the Greek. Uh, Don't get confused about that. So many people have tried to get that like a quality thing. Like, well, the Jews are first. They're They're the top need and then we're the last need. No, no, no. That's not what Paul is doing. Paul is using first to mean timeline. Because the Bible says Jesus comes from the Jews. Salvation is from the Jews. And so he's saying it was from the first, it came through their line. But praise God, he opened it to everyone. We're not, we're not like last. I mean, that's not what the point is of this passage. The Jews, Jesus came through their whole lineage. And he's for the Jews, but he's also for everyone who believes. That's why it's important to know the God, that Paul's gospel statement is salvation is for every individual and it's personal, not corporate, not national. Paul has to get this across. The Romans are going to want to understand this gospel. They're like, we got this church and there's some Jews here and they're acting like they're all that. They got rules. I don't like all their rules. Do I got to follow these rules? There's a lot of problems in the Roman church. Paul's coming and saying, yes, Jesus came through the line of the Jews, but now... You can understand that salvation is for everyone who believes. Salvation is not just for the religious Jew. Salvation is just not for the heathen Greek. It's for the heathen Jews and for the religious Greek. It's for all people. All means all. That's all all means. And that's Paul is trying to say, you aren't going to get to heaven on your mom and daddy's faith. That goes back to my Guba talk that I would tell kids. I would tell kids, because I would get them when they were about 13, about 13 to 18, and I would look them all in the eye and say, everybody in this room is old enough to own their own faith. And if you don't own your own faith by now, I got bad news for you. You're not getting in on your mom and daddy's faith. You can't get on, on Nana's faith. You have, my Nana reads the word every day. Well, good for Nana. She going to be there. Good luck for you. You better get there, right? And so you don't get in on your family's faith. And America needs to remember, you don't get in on your nationality. (laughs) The Jews had to be told that because they really did think it was all about them. They're like, well, we, it's, you know. And by the way, Paul's showing up to talk about a Jewish carpenter who Rome 
crucified in an undignified way. He's got a gospel that could upset a lot of Romans. So the Jews are all in that church in Rome going, y'all see what it's all about. We're the good guys. You're the bad guys. Right? And that's not what Paul is teaching at all. He can't wait to get to Rome and say it's for all who believe. All who have faith and apply that imputed righteousness from Jesus. That's the five statements I want to give you out of the thesis, but let's have a conclusion today. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, we must believe it. First application of today's message. Have you received salvation through faith? Has there been a time in your life, and and again, here comes the question, and I know there are those who would part with me from here, and it's okay if you part with me from here. So I'm looking at a room of 3,000 teens, and at this point in the message, they're going to want to know, well, how do I get saved? It's by faith. How do I apply this? The Bible says in Luke 13, 3 and 5, unless you repent, you will perish. Unless you repent, you will perish. What's going to happen when I see that holy God? Someday he's going to want to know who's paying for the sin. I want to make sure I clarify this right now and, and, and make sure I'm ready for the moment I arrive. I ask God to save me. It's called praying. Now listen, can a prayer save you? Can a prayer not save you? Yes. Yes. I want to make sure everybody understands. If you were eight years old and by faith, Somebody explain the gospel to you. And by faith, you pray to prayer to receive Christ. Then by faith, you are saved by faith. You cannot say that a prayer can't save you. I believe that it's through a prayer we express the understanding in the heart to God. But that prayer is not just a repeated words from somebody else. I've always struggled with pastors said, repeat this prayer after me. I always struggled with that because I don't want them to show up to heaven and say, well, I prayed Don's prayer. Don's prayer doesn't get anybody to heaven. So it's not a, a special magic prayer you've got to pray. It's a heartfelt conversation with God where you say, God, I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life as my Savior and Lord. And it's, and it's not the words and the phraseology. It's the heart sentiment to a holy God where he says, yes, I am imputing my son's righteousness on your account. It's by faith you're saved, not your prayer. You expressed it through prayer. Remember I told you before, on the way up to Camp Barakel, there's a sign. Somebody put a sign up on the side of the road. It says, Jesus, come into my heart. Somebody actually made this beautiful sign. They put it up on the side of the road. Jesus, come into my heart. I don't know if they think they're tricking everybody. Is everybody that drives on 131 North getting saved when they go, hey, Jesus, come into my heart? Ah! I'm a sinful truck driver living in sin. But I just read the sign. Now I get to go to heaven because I said the words. Obviously, I think everybody in the room knows just saying that doesn't get you saved. Pastor, what are you trying to say? Can you get saved by a prayer? Yes. Is that prayer connected to faith of the facts and the heart conviction? If not, then we're talking about a dead faith. A dead faith doesn't save anybody. Just a simple knowledge of Bible doesn't save you. But a faith that understands the need and says, God, I can't do this. I need your power. I need your righteousness. Then that faith saves you. It can be expressed in a prayer. Well, if I haven't confused you, Paul's going to do a lot better job here in the next year and a half. We're going to get into some weeds. But I hope you at least can understand that we must believe it. Do you believe it today? 
Do you believe it? Second thing is, because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, we must proclaim it. Amen? Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So what he's saying is, I'm going to boldly proclaim the gospel. Team, why don't you come and let's close this song and send them out today. These are the two conclusions that we come to at the end of our service. Because of the power of God, salvation means we must believe it. And second, we we should boldly proclaim it. And when you have it, we get to sing a song like Christ is mine forevermore.